Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. No matter how complex you want to make it or, or, or the methods or, or whatever, all we're doing is reinforcing behaviors we want to occur more and punishing behaviors we want to occur less. There's always something to debate or argue in the dog world, but there's just one thing that's not up for debate. All hunters and dog owners know you need the right gear, not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conkey's Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound related. Conkey's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out conkeysoutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkeys Outdoors. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody. Joe, what's going on, bud? Oh, you know, living the dream. Great weekend. Uh, my Gators won. Drank a little bit too much uh, Ugly Dog vodka yesterday, but uh, the Gators won, so that's all that matters. You busted out the vodka this time? I, I busted out the vodka, and uh, uh, I was I was doing pretty good about 10 o'clock, and then I just went to sleep. <laughs> well, I, I went looking for a bottle of the uh, the whiskey or just a straight bourbon, and apparently you stole the last bottle, so uh, I didn't have anything here at the house for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you just sat around and watched football all weekend? Uh, yeah, basically. You know, I got the baby coming soon, so I kind of did a couple things getting ready for for him. But other than that, um, I did uh, took Jack to the trial grounds. Uh, yesterday morning to run yep. him and uh, his hips bothering him again. He he, he got about uh, about three quarters of a mile in and he started limping. So, all right, might have to might have to get wit to give me uh, some more pain medication for him or something like that. Let's say it was what six seven months ago when that first started and then went away. Yep, yeah, exactly. If you guys didn't know Jack. Um, we actually took him in to see uh, Wit, and they actually thought he might have had uh, dysplasia. Turns out he didn't, and uh, his hip just kind of um, sits in a little bit. Well, I forget if it sits in too deep or 
Um, I think it sits in a little bit too deep. So every once in a while, he gets a little bit of uh, inflammation in there. It's hard to slow him down, though, you know, to it's like, hey, don't don't push it. And then, he, you know, he goes and he sees a squirrel and he goes and hops off my deck and and chases the squirrel. So, yeah, doesn't bother him too much. Not, no. not mentally anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well. Man, I, I was trying my best. I was trying to knock out a bunch of stuff around here at the house all week to, in hopes of being able to go hunt and get back out in the woods this weekend, but uh, it just didn't happen. I think it was Thursday night. I was just looking around. I'm like, yeah, I just I have way too much to do around here trying to trying to knock a bunch of the home stuff out, get ready for this baby, and uh, you know, if I can knock this stuff out, then it's like, all right, maybe I can... Uh, get out a little bit more often and more regularly again uh once the weather cools off i mean heck it was back over 80 something degrees again this weekend oh yeah it was very hot today yeah i even uh man i've had cabin fever but working inside the house all uh all weekend i finally today at about three thirty, four o'clock i'm like screw this i'm going fishing i just ran out to the uh the fishing <laughs> pond and snagged a few fish and kicked up a few ducks and just sat there and enjoyed the quiet, but yeah, I had to do something outside, but I'm, I'm hoping next weekend I can steal away and get back in the grouse woods well, or the, the Tennessee woods and the grouse <laughs> that can be probably left out of that anyway. Yeah. That, that are some that might be there, might not be there. <laughs> yeah. But if you are, um, if you're needing something to listen to, uh, we got a great episode this week with a uh, Grayson Geyer. Yep. Nick, this is an episode, at least for me, that I'm probably going to have to listen to about two or three more times just with the amount of information that's on there. So this is the type of episode that I really enjoy is you, you really start getting in deep on the dog training and in this episode, not to, not to give everything away, but essentially what it is is, you know, when we're training these dogs, sometimes side effects kick in or an undesirable trait, uh, it'll just pop up and you don't even realize where it came from. And so sometimes you need to have a little bit of a redirect to uh, resolve the issue and kind of knowing the difference of when you're in a situation where you can't lose the battle and when you're in a situation to where you need to kind of rethink things. So Grayson is a, 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 just world of knowledge when it comes to stuff like this. I love bouncing ideas off of him and he helped me out with an issue and, and he suggested a redirect. And once he did that, it was kind of like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in these redirects. Let's, uh, let's talk about this a little bit more. And so it, it was a fun conversation and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. Yeah. I think, um, uh, I was in South Dakota this, this past weekend doing some pheasant hunting and didn't have Jack with me, but it's always really cool to watch these, I mean, really pheasant dogs hunt. Um, and we had a, a draught out there. We had some labs and a pointer and a GS and a couple GSPs. Um, and you know, I've I have a hope next year to to bring Jack out there. And you know, the, <laughs> the time, yeah, yeah. But you know, you know, Jack is a long ranging dog. So you know, but in the back of my head, I'm like, oh man, if I bring him up to you know South Dakota, is he gonna you know is he gonna hunt for a week and you know kind of shorten his range to where now he's only going to work, you know, 15 yards in front of me when we go through these, these food plots. And then when I go back to, you know, West Texas, is he, is, is he not going to range? So, uh, uh basically, ba- 
Uh, exactly. And that's kind of what this episode says, but I thought it was a, it was funny timing as I was listening back to this episode. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good episode for everybody, especially, uh, you know, on their first few dogs that you, you, some dogs just develop a few traits and being smart about it and thinking about it other than just powering your way through and banging your head against the wall. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of good information in it. Hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, I guess, Joe, you want to spit out the uh, self-aggrandizing normal stuff that we have to hit every every week? Gundogityourself.com is the place to go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Gundogityourself on Instagram and also on Facebook. Um, hit us up on Patreon, too, if you like what we're doing. Um, especially Nick, I am on the technical side of this podcast. So, um, I know, uh, the, the time and effort it goes into and just having the right gear and, and paying for, you know, lips and feeds and everything like that. So anything that you guys can, um, help us out, it does actually really help us out. Um, and you know, go, go towards, uh, some of those, those sponsors, tell them we sent, sent us your way. Um, that always helps us a lot. If, if, if any of the sponsors here, um, that you heard about them from us, that goes a long way um, to just helping that relationship. So we appreciate you guys listening. There you go. Beautiful. Well, nothing else on our end besides rate and review and enjoy the podcast. Yep. Have a great week. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you could need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt, or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us. Dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, everybody. We're joined with Grayson Geyer of Lost Highway Kennels out of North Carolina. Grayson, how you doing? I'm great, Nick. I hope you are, man. Oh, yeah. Living the dream. I, I appreciate you making time for us again. We, uh, we have kind of an interesting topic to discuss that I, I don't think really... 
I don't think I've heard it discussed on other podcasts or kind of in the in the frame of mind that we're going to speak to it about. But uh, we're we're going to talk about misdirection in training. So, you know, it, it's kind of a different topic, but it's something that me and you have discussed over the past few months after you giving me a good, good tip on how to correct a, a, an issue with my Munstie. And uh, after it worked so well, I wanted to touch on this subject a little bit more. And I know people are probably already right now wondering what a, a misdirect in training is. So do you want to go ahead and start off and try and define what this misdirect concept is about? Well, it, yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I guess that's, that's one way of, of putting it, you know, really to me, I think it's just an understanding that, um, you know, as we train dogs, uh, they're going to pick up on a context uh, of, of the things we're working on. And especially when we get say deep into like a force program or something, um, we're going to be building day after day on specific behaviors. And, um, you know, along the way, uh, as we're aiming it at, you know, pretty small targets, we can tend to bring up, uh, maybe some behaviors we were, we weren't looking um, to build along the way. So uh, you may end up with what we would call superstitious behaviors. And uh, one way of kind of working your way out of those things that some people would call them boogers or, um, you know, or, or, you know, baggage or skeletons or things like that. But, um, you know, what we, what we want to do is just kind of break that context, get the dog's head in a different, uh, in a different space and you know continue to isolate the things we're working on while not reinforcing the things we're not working on so we may call it misdirecting redirecting um you know or, or just change the scenery however you, yeah. you choose to uh to it it's just it's just kind of picking the things we want to keep going forward with and and uh while attempting to kind of fade those things we weren't looking to pick up along the way yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, anybody that's been training dogs for any length of time, they, they know that while your intention to be training on any one thing, that's your target. But along the way, you can inadvertently be reinforcing an undesirable trait and, and kind of what you're talking about, the superstitious behavior. And so you kind of at the end of it, you might have an undesirable reaction from the dog on something that that you didn't even realize that you were reinforcing with the dog as you were working on your main target and so that's what we're talking about really just trying to redirect the line of fire so that we can correct that undesirable behavior and you don't lose out on the main topic or the main objective that you're trying to train towards sure yeah for sure so let's Let's just jump on into like an example. I mean, we we can use the example that me and you kind of came up with talking about this topic with uh, Lucy, if you want. But I didn't know if you had another specific example that would be a little bit more uh, beneficial to discuss, or did you just want to use Lucy's example for uh, discussing this? Let's let's start with Lucy. I'm sure something will come up along the way. I didn't uh, really come prepared with a lot of case study, but I think. Uh, <laughs> I think it'll, I think those things will pop into my mind as we move forward. So yeah. I'm sure, you know, this stuff comes up time and, um, yeah, I mean, there's, it's, 
you know, it's prevalent. Yeah. So Lucy, you know, that this was a perfect example of, this is how this came about is so over the summer when I was working on her with line drills and, and a lot of force to pile work and everything, as I was doing the send off with her, I noticed that after a few reps during the session, when I would get down to line her up, she did a lot of leaning into me. And then it got into from just leaning into me to where she wasn't even focused downrange at the target that I was trying to send her to. She would really see my hand or my arm when I was trying to direct her and she would just zero in on my hand. And every time I drew it back, she would kind of follow it with her nose. And so it was really, she was just unsure of what was happening. And it was really strange because at the start of the session, she wouldn't be doing it. But then after a few reps, it would just get worse and worse and worse. And then after a couple weeks, it was, she was just doing it on every rep. And so I couldn't, I couldn't really get her out of that mindset. And I was doing what a lot of people do in that scenario. They, they don't really know how to handle that. I'm getting this undesirable action from her. I, I'm not sure where it stemmed from or where or when it even started. And so what did I do? I started, well, let's do more reps. Let's try and force through this. Let's try and correct her and force her to do it correct correctly and the more i tried that the worse it got and so finally i called you i'm like you know have you seen anything like this do you have any tips or advice on how to do this and your response was not what i expected your response was when she does that turn around and have a ladder of bumpers the opposite direction and send her in the opposite direction and I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, it's you're taught, especially with force fetch, is they have to do it, right? And then your advice is, well, make it fun, turn it around, you have a different objective, and send her on her on her way and go the opposite direction. And it worked like a charm. I mean, I think I t- called you after three sessions, and the problem was essentially resolved. I mean, I know that it can come back. It's not a hundred percent resolved, but just by that little redirect, I completely changed how she was acting. And it was really interesting to me. And that's when I called you, I'm like, all right, let's talk more about these, this redirect that you did, because I think a lot of people would just keep doing what I was doing, banging their head against the wall, thinking we're going to work our way through this instead of resolving it. Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think she's a really good example. And I think that worked out, you know, in our favor, cause you may have turned around with her and it not worked. Right. So it was, you know, when I gave you that advice, it was something I'd seen work in similar circumstances. Uh, and I, you know, thought long and hard about why it worked, you know, after our conversation and, and, and I, you know, I believe you know, it just happened to be a, a very specific example of something that came up in a force program in an area where I hadn't put the exact same kind of thought into it that maybe I had in other other types of training in the past. Um, but the idea is you're changing the context, you know. So we're looking down the same pipe, you know, every time you maybe, you know, and I'm guessing at this, so correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but every time you take her, you know, down to the pile, it's kind of the same ritual, right? And yeah. 
And this is, these are the things that help us in training, right? We always talk about ritual. We always talk about the way we take our dog out of the kennel or out of the crate and prep them to go to the field or to the, to the yard or whatever, you know, and we put their head in a certain place. Well, she's walking down this pipe and, and <clears throat> she's been doing it over and over again. She's feeling obviously, you know, and, and I want to circle back to this phrase, in, in just a little bit, but feeling pressure. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we use that word a lot. And, and sometimes it's uh, easy to define and other times it's not, but, um, you know, my friend Emily and I often talk about what we call perceived pressure. So it's may, maybe not exactly pain or a euphemism for pain, but it's, Hey, I'm walking you into this, uh, this environment that you've seen over and over again, and you're beginning to feel some anxiety, uh, because we know, you know, something unpleasant may be coming. And, um, and so already, you know, she's beginning to think of ways to reduce this level of perceived pressure she may be feeling. You know, one thing could be with the leaning in like a, an appeal to affection from you, but most likely, even if it started that way, it just becomes a contact point, right? So she just leans in, she touches her head to to your knee or whatever, and then all of a sudden you send her and that pressure is relieved. And then somehow we captured this behavior we were not intending to capture yeah. um, and reinforced it. You know, and then we continue to do it over and over again. We're not paying attention to the fact that she's leaning into us. Only the fact that we're squirting her out of the, the tube to get down the field um, you know, and get that bumper in her mouth and get back to us. You know, because we're working our force program. And, and then before we know it, we've added these little idiosyncratic behaviors um, you know, to our routine. And this is when, when I use the, the phrase superstitious behavior, um, you know, I had it explained to me by a detection trainer one time, we, we would build, uh, you know, final responses on our explosive detection dogs and they were to be passive and you'd be training this, a really good dog. And before you knew it, you know, as you were, um, developing a final response or that had been, well-developed at one point and you're paying the dog for getting better at finding things and you're not paying attention to exactly how well they're, they're responding to the odor. Uh, one day you go out there to pay them and they're doing like a 360 and a backflip and sitting and laying down and sitting and then do, they're adding all these little, um, odd little behaviors to their final response and it's, and they slowly creep in there. And mm-hmm. what happens is, you know, we're, we're <laughs> potentially, waiting to uh to deliver a reinforcement to that dog and in the meantime the dog's like well let's try this thing you know i haven't gotten my behavior you know i haven't gotten my reinforcer yet so i'm gonna i'm gonna you know do this thing over here and then bam they get paid and they didn't consider it but they go oh well i must need to do that again the next time yeah right and so so essentially that same kind of thing's happening we walk in there we have all this perceived pressure that you know that our dog is feeling walking out to the pile and um, you know, and they start throwing behaviors at the wall and we're not even watching them. Yep. And then we apply, we apply the, uh, the normal, you know, discomfort that we wouldn't apply in, in a situation like that. And it's handled appropriately by the dog, but along the way we've added all these other things. So something as simple as just a change of space, um, taking them out of the environment, that could be the thing cueing it. And then, and then Lucy's case, just turning around and showing her a different picture to the front, um, kind of resolve that issue. But I, you know, 
you know, a few more trips out to that same environment, you know, may bring it back. Uh, right. That makes sense and was cogent. Yeah. And I mean, that, that was what was so shocking to me is there really, it wasn't just out of nowhere, this problem just showed up. Like it, it was obviously something very subtle in her behavior and me not picking up on the subtlety of it, just gradually progressing into what it did. It was, you know, like you said, maybe it was one day to where she was feeling the pressure from, I think it stemmed from not so much the pressure of sending her on the retrieve, but so much as the pressure on the steadiness before the retrieve. And I think that this is just me guessing because like I just said, I, I wasn't picking up on the subtlety, but like what you said, maybe it just started with because of the pressure from the steadiness prior she started looking to me a little bit and then a little bit more leaning into me a little bit more, a little bit more. And then eventually it finally caught my attention and it was this challenge that it was very hard to overcome. And it just, you know, you're taught or you hear all the time. You, you can't, you have to win the battle with these dogs. And especially when it's into retrieving, it's like, all right, there you have to, if the dog's force fetched, then it's forced to go get it, right? You know, it's that pressure. It's like you're going to get through it. And so you, you're there's a fine line between you can't lose the battle, but then what I was doing was just banging my head against the wall, and it was making matters worse because it was just like you said, the perceived pressure. It was like it was getting more and more and more the more reps I did and trying to correct the issue. And all it was was – give her a different sight picture. And so I was doing pile work and trying to do directional training. So turn around and instead of having a pile, have a ladder set up and it was a completely different sight picture. And it was just, boom, there's not this big steadiness sequence beforehand, just turn around point and send. And it, it completely resolved the issue in, in very short sessions. And I think if I just kept going down that road, of repetition forcing can't lose this battle. I think I would have made it even worse. Hey, yeah, I, I, I think you probably would have as well. And you know, we think of what, what is our motive when we walk down to the pile, you know, and it's, I want to get some more power. I want to get some more speed. I want to build confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and obviously we're driving through something Then she, you know, this other little, you know, this little booger creeps into her head yeah. and then all, you know, she's sticking her ear against your knee and what's your, you know, what's your recourse? It, it, it's to continue to force through. Well, what you're, all you're doing is strengthening that behavior because, you know, if, or I guess potentially all you're doing is strengthening that behavior. If that behavior is being inadvertently reinforced by, by the pressure, yeah. right? So applying more pressure is only inadvertently reinforcing the, the behavior you're trying to avoid. You know, you're thinking you're forcing them through it. Um, yeah, and you may be getting more speed and power to the pile, but it's not changing the fact that she now has added sticking my ear to dad's leg as a part of that sequence of behaviors right. that need to be followed to relieve that pressure. Yep. And, you know, if we look at force fetch, if we look at, you know, the continuation of force fetch, if, you know, if you're taking it to the pile or you're going to, uh, you know, even continue on to, to handling with a retriever or something, doing a single T or whatever, um, it's all negative reinforcement, right? So we have a catalyst uh, just walking into that context. They mm-hmm. know 
that they're going to feel pain and that the way they're going to relieve that pain is by performing an active behavior. So whether that, you know, we build on the fact that they're putting this bumper in their mouth, turning off that pressure, now we're creating momentum. So every time we advance our force program, you know, we're adding a, you know, a, a, a kind of a new task, which is, you know, hey, all I need you to do right now is just, you know, don't drop the bumper. Okay, well, now I need you to open the bumper and put it in your mouth. Well, now I need you to reach for it. Mm-hmm. Well, now I need you to drive through back pressure to it. Now I need you to transition to the ground and go pick up one without any sort of prey stimulation from the ground. Now I need you to go pick up a handful and now I'm going to stretch this out to a pile you can't see. You know, along the way, why wouldn't they just say, hey, I did this thing last time. Maybe that thing I did turned off the pressure. They don't know. You know, yeah. they're living in, in the in the moment. That we're, we're training. And so, you know, I think again, spatially, you know, we, we, the reason we use tables in my opinion, you know, is not only to just relieve our, our backs, but you know, we're creating a micro environment and the less things there are to stimulate the dog or to create some sort of cause and effect relationship between the environment and the dog, the fewer opportunities there are for weird things to creep in there and get in our way. Absolutely. You know, we can isolate specific you know? And so, when we move that out into the field and, you know, now we're in this long mode lane, you know, that little micro environment we had on our table, you know, has now become a big, a great big wide world, you know? And so the, you know, the, the environment has much more of an effect and more of an impact. And so what they see and what they feel and what they perceive, what, regardless of, you know, whether they think it's coming from us or, or the universe, you know, um, has an effect on that behavior. So I called, you know, a good friend of mine, um, to ask him about that when we first spoke about it to kind of make sure I was on the right track and, you know, and, and many fewer words than I just made a mess with there. <laughs> you know, he's look, man, you, gotta, you don't force, you don't force a dog to the, to the pile in the same place you're planning on doing your single T with him. He's like, you know, you make your progression. Um, and you, and you always get, once that dog is kind of understand something, you move on, you get out of that space, you know, and you go to a different, a different picture, you know, a different, a different place. And you're looking for all the things you want and, and hopefully none of the things you don't. And if you see things you don't like, then you need to take a few steps back, show them a completely different space and start isolating the things you want again. So it, in our case, it just, work that you turn around but it may yeah. not have, you know yeah exactly it's just a different sight picture and i mean i moved i moved around the yard different locations i went out to different grounds and, and the problem persisted so that you know that was it, there was so much stuff that you said in that statement that that we could kind of unravel and and i think the we, we've kind of already touched on the perceived pressure it's just like just you may not even realize that the dog is perceiving pressure the way they are because you're not intending on the pressure, but these dogs pick up different stuff. So it's like, well, I'm, I was thinking that it had something to do with the retrieve deal with Lucy. Really. When I think back on it, I think it was the perceived pressure from the steadiness sequence before I would send her that caused this issue. Um, Uh but my question to you is how, how, Again, you hear all the time you you can't lose the battle with these dogs, right? And I think that sure. that sets up a lot of people right there to I'm going to win this battle at all costs because the dog knows better and they just keep barreling through, especially as 
somebody who like myself is a, a do-it-yourself gun dog trainer i don't get to see that many dogs i don't ha- i don't get my hands on as many dogs as you or any other pro trainer how would you advise a diy trainer to really be able to pick up and know the difference between a battle you can't lose and the dog is picking up on an undesirable or perceived pressure and we need to alter course and, and redirect it somehow. Sure. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's a really thoughtful question and, 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 you know, something I hadn't, I hadn't considered often before, but I've said that to people. I said, you know, you, 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 you know, now you're in this fight, you can't, you can't lose it. Right. But I, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's that's over that's an oversimplification of what what i think all of us um that have experienced it before maybe trying to advise those that haven't which is get out with a win right like it's not as important that you force them through a perfect rep as it is that you you get out and they without reinforcing an inappropriate behavior you know, so if I have a dog that's shutting down, quote unquote shutting down, I don't. I, that's a it's an overused phrase as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, you know, if I have a dog that's that's kind of bucking on on the table or refusing to kind of get through this rep, and I quit there, well, I have. I've I've shown him that hey, just clenching down on your teeth and holding your ground, or you know or just refusing or making a big dramatic show of something as a way to, to avoid, um, you know, pressure in the future. And, uh, we don't want to do that, but what we can do is simplify, make the task easier, you know, and then make it the biggest win in the world for that dog and get out and give them, give them, you know, let them sleep on it and then come back and, you know, oftentimes, whether we're talking steadiness, whether we're talking something as simple as teaching them to get on a place board or we're talking force fetch, you know, if it becomes, um, if the task becomes overwhelming to the dog uh, and, and we're not, we're no longer sending clear signals and they're not sure about how to, to relieve the stress they're feeling, then we, it's our, it's our, responsibility to take a few steps back, simplify it, make it easy and allow them to relieve that stress. And then through that, they're going to begin to feel confident again, you know, and then we can start taking on bigger tasks. We need dogs coming into, uh, you know, that, that learning mindset, feeling like they're capable of doing it, feeling like they're capable of doing the right thing. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times we, paint ourselves into a corner where those dogs aren't feeling like they understand how to get out of this situation now. And that's where I think people get themselves in trouble. So it's not so much about forcing through as it is about getting out and getting out appropriately, get out of the situation. How do you improve your situation? How do you get out of that and then move on, get through the end of the day, come back tomorrow and, and, you know, you know, get to regain the confidence we lost today. And that's, you know, essentially end on a good note and, and, I mean, to, to your example, you know, you're talking about force fetch and, and a lot of table work and everything, you know, how many, how many guys do you hear talk about having that, that confidence object, right? You know, yeah. may, maybe the dog gets a little confused or hesitant on a certain step of force fetch, but you have that, 
that confidence object, that confidence bumper, whatever it is that you know that the dog gets fired up over that. It's very easy to get like a rep or two and you get out of that situation and out of that mindset. Well, sure. And say, even if we're like, you know, where, where are you? What day, you know, if, if you try to break down your force bench into objectives, you know, for me, um, it's, I start with hold, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm simply starting with hold. I'm giving you the opportunity. I put the bumper in your mouth, you know, dr- now you dropping it is, is the catalyst painful stimulation right that's the thing that's going to we're talking force fetch yeah um and using appropriate and clear language that's what's working so now you've you've dropped this now you're feeling discomfort how do you relieve that discomfort well i'm going to show you when this thing gets back in your mouth it's no longer uncomfortable yeah you know and so that's going to become the now if we look at the context i walk you to the table and immediately you know, day three, day four of force fights, you're beginning to associate that table with, with some sort of feeling of discomfort. Like I'm using that to my advantage, right? So how do you relieve that? You put this in your mouth and all of a sudden we're happy. You know, now I have this thing, you know, I have, I've developed a compulsive behavior, a compulsion in this dog to put this thing in their mouth to relieve stress. If I've done it right and I've taken my time, they want it there and they're happy to have it there. Right. They're not yeah. fighting me on day three or four. And so that's a place I can always revisit. That's a place. I mean, they knew that they won there. You know, they, they got, they had a victory there. They feel confident there at, at hold, um, you know, maybe even reach or whatever. But if I'm trying to pick up off the table and, you know, we've been cruising right along at this kind of, um, static level of pressure where the dog just feels like you're learning at a rapid rate. And then all of a sudden you put the, put the bumper or whatever you know, buck on your table and the dog kind of gets a little confused and then you ramp up the pressure and then they get, you know, they get dramatic or they, uh, you know, and now they get, you thought what you thought you had this ultra compliant dog. And now you're like, man, I'm seeing all this obstinance and this unwillingness. Um, you know, that's a time where, hey, we can regain some confidence. I can show you, hey, we can work as a team. You can win. Let's try this again. If you fight me again, hey, well, I'm going to I'm gonna show you that that's not going to get you. It's, you know, all these other behaviors you're throwing at the wall are not going to get you out of your situation, your current situation. The only thing that will is the appropriate behavior. But I need, in order for you to find that, you know, if I'm, I'm creating this this stress in order for you to relieve this stress you've got to pick the right thing and i want to make that as easy for you as possible and i want to make you as willing to try and do that as possible if that makes sense yeah absolutely i think that's part of the picture we're talking about the foundation of the talking about it's that clear picture how do i how do i make it simple because i can't tell you i can't write it down for the dog you got to do this exact thing to get out of this stressful situation right but, you know, what I can do is take my time getting there and hit every little step along the way just right. Um, and hopefully, again, we're not picking up these quote unquote superstitious behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And that's honestly, you know, what, again, coming from a DIY perspective where I don't get to put my hands on as many dogs as a pro trainer, it's, it's a very fine line that you dance with on this because like, you know, the way I've I've always been explained and, and learned as I go with all this is, you know, baby steps with these dogs, no matter whether it's force fetch or anything else, it's, you know, you're going to kind of teach them and then 
you're going to teach them what you want the dog to do. And then you're, the dog is going to learn how to turn off the pressure when it involves that objective that you're teaching, whether we're, let's just stick with force fetch. And then over time, the dog learns how to avoid the pressure, you know, over time. But the trick is, is a fine line, I think, of them avoiding the pressure and avoiding the actual action that brings on the pressure. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, and that's, well, they on their, they, whatever is there environmentally, you know, whatever, you know, we have to understand, you know, just like, just like steadiness, you know, and blinking, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not the bird that's, that's creating the stress for you. It's the fact that you won't stop creeping. Right. But, but we're really bad oftentimes at showing the dog that's, that's what's creating the situation that they would like to avoid, Yeah, you know? And, and so just like for us, it's not the table that's creating the stress, you know, it's it, it, the, it's the fact that you actions. don't have a bumper. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's well, and it, and it is, I mean, we, we have to understand too, that, you know, when we're, when we're discussing negative reinforcement that, you know, it's always easier for us to start. That's why I like to start with a bumper in the dog's mouth. I'm going to physically manipulate the dog's mouth, put the bumper in the mouth, and now I'm going to let give them the opportunity to drop it, which they all will, right? Yeah. Because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. That's your cat. That's your catalyst for pressure, for discomfort, for pain. No, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say, you know. And now I've given, hopefully, given a clear understanding. So if I'm going to teach a dog place, I'm going to start with them physically manipulated on the place board. Stepping off creates pressure. Stepping back on turns it off. And so now you know you hope now it's not unfair. I'm not just stepping into this situation. Not the getting on the table. Is not the thing that creates the pressure. It's the fact that you had a bumper in your mouth and it came out, you know, and that's the, the message I'm trying to send the dog. And so when I walk to the line, you know, it's not, it's not the sight picture in front of you creating the pressure. It's not the fact that we're out here. It's, you know, it's simply the fact that I need you to get down there and get that bumper in your mouth, you know, and hopefully that's a clear and, and, and patent signal to that dog, you know, but, but if it does get to the point where I walk down there and that sight picture is the thing creating the pressure, well, that's pretty simple. We just change the sight picture, you know, or we change, change our, improve our situation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, again, it kind of goes to everything that we're always preaching and, and talking about is know your dog, really pay attention to your dog and their actions. And hopefully you can pick up on some of these subtleties that hopefully you're not reinforcing without even it and knowing it. But if you don't really pay close attention to your dog and their actions, you can miss all this stuff. And something as simple as just changing the area that you're doing, you know, again, just stick with force fetch, changing the area that you're doing force to pile. Maybe it's something as simple as going from the backyard to the front yard and just getting in a whole new environment. You can completely avoid this uh, this challenge or this issue or the brain farts, uh, the boogers that you're calling it. So besides force fetch, what are some other examples? You're talking about steadiness, but in your opinion, I mean, is there some kind of facet or area of training that, that you can see 
this popping up? I mean, clearly force fetch is an easy one that we can talk to, but, but what are some common areas that people can start noticing these superstitious, uh, behaviors and perceived pressure that if they really just pay attention in the learning process, maybe they can kind of avoid it all to just to begin with. Yeah. So I think, you know, anytime we ha- we're using, um, you know, like force fetch is, is a really, really perfect example of a complex behavior being developed in, through negative reinforcement primarily right so mm-hmm. if we think of negative reinforcement i don't want to just turn this into another kind of operant conditioning talk no know? but i think a lot of people need to hear it because you're not just talking about being mean to the dog you know that you're talking about the four quadrants and that, that is a, an important piece to touch on yeah so it's, it's really important when we're talking negative reinforcement to understand that the reinforcement part means I'm making a behavior more likely to occur in the future. And that the negative part means I'm removing something in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, um, you know, and I, I like to use, uh, I, I like to use clear language and I want, and I don't want to apologize for using words like pain and things like that. I mean, that's what we're using in training and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't like it because pressure to me is describing you know, an, an intangible. So the pain exists. The pressure, in my opinion, is the, the emotion the dog may be associating with the, with the entire situation, you know, and, and we can use that to our advantage. If they're, if they're feeling stressed you know, we're taking that distress that the dog is feeling and we're going to help them relieve that. So that can, you know, that's not just necessarily pain because we have some very resilient dogs that come along, you know, not only that are, they're, pain tolerant but if i've done my job correctly i think we make dogs resilient so i'm i'm you know through the collar conditioning process through all the yard through everything else i'm showing the dog hey this is a normal part of life you know you're a you're an athlete and this is your training this is your conditioning and you're going to feel this sensation and it's not the end of the world um and so when i have that kind of resilient tough dog uh, I, I, in my opinion, I see fewer boogers creep in because they're looking for the way out. We're lo- they've learned to learn through these long, slow, you know, applications of, of pain that through escape avoidance, you know, when we talk, the first thing they're doing is they're learning to escape that pressure or pain. Mm-hmm. And the second thing they're, they're doing is learning to avoid it. So, so through that, you know, we're getting these really clear, precise, isolated behaviors. And that's not to say that anybody's dog that has these, because at, at the higher the drive of the dog as well, the more inclined they're going to be towards superstition. So when I say superstitious behavior, I want people to imagine, you know, I think, what was it like Lenny Dykstra had a sandwich in his pocket or something. And he thought that's why he, you know, would win ball games back in the day. <laughs> um, and I'm, da- I'm dating myself with that reference, right? But it's... Yeah. It's like he just had to stick it, and I think this might even be like some joke, right, that was on ESPN. But the idea was, hey, he went out one day, 
he had a ham sandwich in the back in his back pocket and <laughs> they you know they won an important game and so now he never went out there without a ham sandwich in his back pocket or another guy never washed his underwear right yeah, okay. so that's what we have what happens with dogs it's like hey i leaned in and put my ear here this one time and then it worked so i'm never not going to do that again because that's yeah. obviously the reason i got through that rep you know appropriately and sometimes those are super hard to break um and so you know what so that's it so the idea is that the negative reinforcement we're reinforcing a behavior all of these anything this booger or this super superstitious behavior somehow somewhere along the way whether we intended to or we didn't we reinforced it it was reinforced and that's on the trainer but our job you know is to make sure that the behavior you know the appropriate behaviors the ones that are reinforced or punished and this and so you asked and i'm sorry i kind of went on a tangent there <laughs> you're good um, <laughs> you asked for other examples and i would say you know anywhere we're going to use negative reinforcement to build a behavior mm-hmm. um i don't think there's good an example is the force fetch because the force fetch goes from being the force fetch to being so much more yeah. uh, um you know eventually whether we're talking about our versatile dogs or whether we're talking about a retriever or any animal that learns to turn turn off that pressure um, by getting away from us and going and finding a thing to put in their mouth and bringing it back to us, you know. And and so I, I would say a better example would be in a in a positive reinforcement situation, and that would be detection dogs. So you get these super high drive dogs that want a Kong more than they want anything in the world, mm-hmm. and they've learned a very you know, we're working to teach them a very specific behavior, which is laying down and putting their nose close to a, a specific odor and remaining still. You know, if they do that and they do it for a long period of time, if they give us duration in that behavior, then they can expect um, to receive this reinforcer. Uh, and that's positive reinforcement, meaning I'm adding something to the equation. Really, in this case, it's a prey object. Um, to make a behavior more likely to occur in the future. Well, in the meantime, as we're stretching that duration out, we, we capture the moment really quick. Hey, as soon as you put your nose on it, I throw the Kong. As soon as you put your nose on it, I throw the Kong. As soon as you put your nose on it, I throw the Kong. You put your nose on it, I wait a half a second, I throw the Kong. You put your nose on it, I wait a half a second, I throw the Kong. Now I'm trying to stretch that to a full second. You're starting to get impatient. And what do you do? You Maybe you look back, right? Yeah. Well, if I mistime that throw, you know, now the looking back became a part of that process. Or yeah. maybe you know, maybe you did really good and I'm stretching you from 30 seconds to 45 seconds. And in that one time you happen to get up and you looked at me and you turn circles and then you sat back down and you looked at it again. I threw it. Well, the next time you go, you sit down you turn around, you get back down. Right. And now I've captured this crazy behavior and you see it all the time. And I would suggest, you know, that anybody that really wants to dive deep on this subject, um, it's free online. Look up superstition in the pit in the pigeon by B.F. Skinner. Uh, and it describes this from a, from a positive reinforcement perspective really, really well. But I think that's what we're getting to when we create boogers um, in negative reinforcement, you know, and then, uh, and then we start getting into things when we talk about maybe blinking birds and, and steadiness or something like that, where we're, you know, we're coming at the dog from multiple angles, you know, so, establishing a point you know and and having a bird fly i mean there's a there's a really good chance that you're 
getting a positive reinforcement. There's just a simple fact that a bird flies is a, and it, it's, it's bathing the dog's brain in dopamine. It's a part of the predatory sequence, yeah. chase, capture, kill, all that stuff's involved in that. Right. So there we're getting some positive, super positive reinforcing, you know, attributes from that sequence. And then all of a sudden we're also putting that uh, we're applying some pain in certain places to make sure, uh, you know, that hopefully the dog understands, hey, you're not supposed to move here. And hopefully we've done our job well and we've shown the dog that, hey, stopping and standing still is what is going to allow you to avoid, avoid that feeling in the future. You know, so hopefully we can put all that together more, you know, it takes, it, it takes a, a lot to get a dog to a point where, um, where they really understand an entire steadiness sequence. It's not just about denying them they're, they're positive reinforcers um, and then teaching them to avoid, you know, the pain of, of punishment for stepping. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's showing that in, we're showing them that individually and then slowly bringing that together over the course of time. And, and so there's, you know, we could have a booger that crept in from one side of that equation or the other, you know. And so that's where I would say, you know, breaking it down, simplifying and going back. You know, way back in training, not being afraid to to take you know your broke dog and unwind them, you know, yeah. uh, to the point where you can kind of diagnose the problem. So that's that, that's a lot to to say to say a little. <laughs> so well, and I mean, it, it's a great example. Like it just, you know, how many times have you gone out with your dog just to get the training session in? Just to, okay, I got to go train my dog and you're, you're not really focused in on the dog and you may miss like your, your example with the detection dog. Maybe the dog looks at you for a split second and just a mistimed throw of the Kong. You just reinforce that behavior and you didn't even mean to. And your mindset going into the training session completely potentially reinforced a negative behavior or, uh, or a booger or superstitious behavior, whatever you want to call it. And it's just something as simple as being focused on your end and attentive to your dog and their actions and breaking it down into small enough chunks to where you don't have this long drawn out sequence for them to connect the dots. You just have very short increments and then you, you kind of alleviate the, the opportunity area for them to create those behaviors. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? But but talking about the the, the length of the increment it, it, in in terms of time, I mean, it's a you know problem. The thing that created that booger was as a trainer, I'm trying to draw out the duration, and if I'm not willing to step back, if I go, oh man, well my dog was doing this for 30 seconds without any problems, I'm not going back to, to quick pan this dog with a mm-hmm. comb. You know that's. Then we get, you know, a little ego in play and then we go, no, I've already made all this progress. There's no way I can step back. Well, here's the deal. I mean, the dog, we buried this, this deal in this dog's psyche, you know, we can go back and we can rebuild it much more quickly. It, it, you know, as we go forward, as we progress, you know, but, but what we can't do is always pick up at the place we left off and fix. If we try to fix the things moving forward without going back you know, deconstructing and, and then starting over, um, 
that's when they just kind of spin out of control and they get worse and worse, you know? So people, people have this real fear of taking a step backward in training. And it, I mean, uh, this seems to be a theme with me and I'm not, I don't want to just kind of always push this narrative, but I think, you know, that uh, for these, you know, this, the fact that you turned around and sent your dog in a ladder, you know, in the opposite direction that it, and like you said, you didn't fight through it. You didn't, you maybe didn't feel like you won that specific battle. Well, you did. You know, yeah. you allowed her, you gave her a different to win, right? And yeah. it wasn't you beating her. It was you winning together, yeah, right? And something simple, you know? And I think that's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, not, it's not linear. It's not as if you're, you're losing something. It's just that you're, you're reestablishing something that we can both win and then get out of this problem with. Absolutely. Yeah, so it, it's really at the end of the day, just getting that win. It's building that confidence. And, you know, I, I, I've heard the saying go both ways, the definition of crazy or the definition of stupid. It's the same thing. You're, you're doing the same thing over and over, and over again with the expectation of getting, getting different results. And so at some yeah. point, you know, if you're just banging your head up against the wall, whether it's ego, stubbornness, or just ignorance, you maybe you don't know of another way to address it. You know, at some point, it's like let's let's think of how we can get out of this scenario, get a win, and address it later. And sometimes it's not as simple as just barreling your your way through it. And I think you know, I've been there. Obviously, I was there with this scenario, and I think we've all been there, especially as DIY trainers. To where sometimes just take a step back and let's think about this for a second and how can we get a win and get out of this situation? Yeah. And I, you know, and, and it kind of speaks to something I remember I, I was listening to your last, I think it was your last podcast podcast with Scott, which um, I really admire that guy and appreciate what you guys do when you have those. Uh, he, he was talking about, you know, and, you know, and, and discussing talking about, you know, having a lack of ego and willingness to change up what you've done in the past on Absolutely. the table, yep. uh, and go that toe hitch. You know, there was a time where I, I, it, I was working with a guy and we ended up, uh, Brian Parker. I was having, having a lot of trouble getting a Brittany to, uh, to open their mouth on the table. And after that dog, I went to, because Brian kind of showed me the toe hitch method. I, I, since then I've kind of gone to like every dog before we go to digging and picking up off the table and really driving to the bumper, which it, for me, before I make the ground transition, you know, I need to see the dog digging really hard. I'm going to, they're going to all know an ear pinch. They're all going to know a toe hitch and they're all going to understand the collar by the time we're making that move, you know? And then that way, if I do end up hitting a brick wall, or kind of running into a, a to a moment of obstinate, I, I immediately got and a different angle to approach it from, you know. And so it's, you know, th- none of those are different methods. They're all we're all using, you know. We're we're applying just the pressure has changed, you know, not the method. Yeah, and I mean, it was really just the location you're feeling it from. I mean, it's just yeah. discomfort, right? Like, yeah. it, so it's, you know, um, and I'm giving you an opportunity. Hey that thing right there that made us feel really anxious and get excited. That's, that's, that's done. I'm not doing that, but here, here's this thing. Remember this, you can do this. You, 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 you beat this game before. And then it gives me the chance too to just simplify 
So I know, again, we keep banging at, away at force fetch, but I think this is where you're going to, this is where y- your listeners are going to run into this the most because it's, it's a complex behavior. I mean, the retrieve is so much more than just the retrieve. You know, it's the hold, it's the carry, it's the recall. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's the search on top of all those behaviors, you know, I mean, that has to be integrated as well. And yeah, you know, that's, you know, for anybody that hasn't, that feels like, they, you know, that hasn't had that dog that they feel like they crushed it on the force fetch with. And then all of a sudden that dog is sneaking off and, you know, resuscitating their birds in the woods somewhere. <laughs> you know, yep. that, if you haven't had that happen to you yet, that's going to happen at some point. Right. So yep. it's, it, you know, we're integrating this whole process. There's, you know, freedom and release that also, uh, you know, is going to be accompanied with, with perceived pressure in the field, you know? And so, um, we're going to see little odd behaviors creep up and and we're going to have to learn how, you know, to isolate those and go back and, and hopefully, you know, fade those. Uh, and when I say fade them, find a way to no longer reinforce them to the point that they, they go away. Right. And, and I think that's the trick, just like we're asking the dogs to, you know, learn to turn off pressure and then avoid the pressure. I think that's kind of the same thing for us is it's a lot easier to avoid these scenarios than it is to correct them. So it's just going out there with the right mindset when you're training your dog, small increments, pay attention, you know, don't be distracted with, you know, I don't know, music in the background or something like really pay attention to your dog and focus on why you're out there and, and hit the, hit the good notes, keep the dog confident and just keep driving forward. But don't feel like if you hit a challenge, don't just keep barreling through it because it can just kind of ingrain that behavior in that dog deep down. And that's not even what you're trying to do, but that's kind of the, the result that you end up with sometimes. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, any behavior uh, that's reinforced is gonna is gonna continue to occur into the future, and any behavior that's not reinforced will go away. Right. You know, I mean, it, 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 and it, some things we have control over, and some we don't. You know, some some dogs are going to be able to self satisfy and reinforce behaviors that are inappropriate. You know, that we don't want to see, and that's when it's time to punish. Yeah. You know, but we we're always punishing the behavior and not the dog. But that's all there is. You know, all there is to this game is you know, no matter how complex you want to make it or, or, or the methods or, or whatever, all we're doing is reinforcing behaviors we want to occur more mm-hmm. and punishing behaviors we want to occur less. And the objective is the objective. And the, the better you are at, you know, at understanding what you want out of your dog and refining it um, and punishing and reinforcing accordingly, the, the better off you'll be you know, and, and recognizing the things you want to see and, and, and turn the things you don't. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Grayson, I, I think we did a halfway decent job of trying to explain what we started out on this podcast, trying to talk redirects, misdirections, whatever, uh, you know, it was kind of a tough subject. We, we really hadn't heard it defined on other podcasts or an audio form. It's just kind of one of those, we, we kind of had this, idea as a topic and we just kind of said let's let's try and put it into words in a podcast so hopefully it made sense to everybody 
But I'm going to throw you for a quick uh, sidestep that most people are probably going to ask where the heck that came from, but uh, bear with me. They they can listen to it. So I know that you do a lot of snake avoidance training on on the side uh, throughout the year, and we actually had a listener question hit hit me up today, so it was perfect time, and I figured I'd throw it throw it out to you instead of me answering it, but uh, Raul, he said that he lives in Arizona and he's he's concerned with getting snake training done for obvious reasons li- living out in Arizona, but he wants to know when you would advise uh, the dog is ready, I guess maybe mentally and physically ready for that type of avoidance training. What would you say to him? That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I would say any dog that is, that has been systematically collar conditioned, you know, is ready. So, you know, some people, um, do that earlier than others. For me, I mean, I, well, you know, I don't, maybe a puppy that somebody thinks has been collar conditioned isn't, you know, but, uh, I, I will do it younger than sexual maturity. It's always better. I mean, the, the, the tougher and, and the more, um, experience the dog is the better off you are but sometimes too the novelty you know when we look at what what snake aversion is i mean it's a pure you know old-fashioned you know trash breaking on a snake <laughs> yeah um i mean we want you know we, we want that that snake uh to to represent a, a really really um uh, bad feeling you know and uh and and so um it's a one-time what you know, well, I've heard called a singular learning event and that's the idea. So, you know, well, I certainly want a dog to be tough, but I also want it to not, you know, it's not like it's something I'm, I'm, you know, trying to make the dog resilient to pain in order to, to make them better at handling it. You know, I want that snake to equal, um, to equal pain and something that dog never wants to experience again. You know, so, uh, I would, I, I, you know, I say all that to say six or eight months, you know, I would say would probably be appropriate, but it's going to depend on every individual dog. Mm-hmm. You know, some dogs will never be mature enough or, or have the mentality to handle, handle it, you know, without maybe having something bad happening. So that comes down to your trainer. And all I would say is if you're in Arizona, there's, you know, it's, it's much more prevalent than it is, than it is in our neck of the woods. And so you should not have a whole lot of trouble. Uh, in this day and age, finding somebody um, that has a has a following and, and folks that have a lot of good things to say about them, uh, I would probably say like maybe reach out to Dennis Cavanaugh, who's a, um, a big time guide in Arizona, and he he's going to know the trainers that have access to to snakes. And you know, out west, it's 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 common, you know, on the east coast, not so much, mm-hmm. but uh, you know. But it's, yeah, uh, we, you know, don't, don't hurt your puppy, but don't be afraid to, uh, to let the, the snake, um, you know, and the snake trainer or the snake avoidance trainer, um, do the things necessary to keep that dog from going after snakes again. Yeah. Or for the first time. Yeah. Just curious out of all your years doing, uh, snake avoidance and everything. Have you ever had a dog come up with a stupid superstitious behavior out of doing the e-collar wrong on this yeah it's a it's a great question so we tie it into what we've been talking about (laughs) no but it's especially a spatial one you know i've done snake i've done it 
made the mistake of doing it too close to like areas that I train. Um, mm. you know, and I mean, and the thing was, is that, you know, not like, you know, uh, the dogs don't see pressure in training, you know, necessarily, but that's it. That's a big one. And that's one we want to stick with them. And so I'll, I'll definitely have dogs and it, uh, that, that maybe don't want to, that are going to have some sort of spatial recognition or, or spatial, uh, awareness or avoidance that, that goes with that. I also, you know, been concerned because the way I set it up, I do cage snakes that maybe the dogs are not necessarily avoiding the snakes and avoiding the cages and, yeah. uh, or, or just the, the context of, of the way I set it up. And so we do our best to like proof them on uncaged non-venomous snakes. Um, but it's, you know, I, I don't think, I think the best way to do it would be to have a venomous snake that was, uh, rendered harmless and, and use those, but that's not an option for us in our neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's, uh, for in order for it to work it is a superstitious behavior we teach them that that snake hurts them but we hope that we teach them that that hurts them when in actuality in reality it never did right no that's a good Um, point but it has the potential to yep you know so that's what we do we create superstitious behaviors we're just doing the ones we want them to do (laughs) right like yeah you know it doesn't you know, in the wild, it wouldn't make sense for a dog to establish a point and hold it forever. It would starve to death. <laughs> <laughs> the point would need to chase that. Yep. So, yeah, you know, and so well, that I think, ties in perfectly I, to that. I think that's a great, great uh, end note on that. We just come full circle. We talked a full episode on avoiding superstitious behaviors and boogers and everything, and we end on it to where on snake avoidance, you're trying to create it. So there's there's a time and place for everything in this crazy world of dog training, I guess. Yeah, and we can talk uh, definitely in circles for a long time, man. So I appreciate <laughs> yeah, all well, your listeners for being. For- no, it, it was great, Grayson. Uh, I, I thank you. Thanks for making time for me again and covering this kind of crazy offhanded topic that we talked about. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. And I hopefully, hopefully some listeners got something out of it. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, 
Remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gundog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.